everybody. Welcome to Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo, Iowa. Joined, as always, on the phone by my right-hand man, David Mercatani, coming to you from St. Louis. David, awesome weekend of wrestling in Lincoln, Nebraska. Saw some unbelievable actions, some incredible drama. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. It was it was awesome being up there. Got a chance to visit with you. Actually got a chance to coach with my father, which is one of my great joys in life. Um, see so many friends, and there are so many people out there that commented to me how they thought, you know, this was some of the best wrestling they'd ever seen in their life. So I, I can't wait to sit down and talk to you about it, talk about it with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not one that uh, typically gets, too caught up in the best sense. I mean, I think some of this, you know, we have a tendency to get a little caught up in recency bias, but uh, man, I don't remember ever witnessing a better night of wrestling than Saturday night. And, you know, so much stuff that transpired and, and like I said, incredible drama, great action. We could probably spend five hours talking about, uh, you know, everything that transpired in Lincoln this weekend, but uh you know, I don't know about you. I don't have the time for that. Uh, people probably don't want to hear us talk that long, but uh, we're going to break this thing down a little bit. Um, got a lot of stuff, as I mentioned, to talk about. Um, Olympic weight classes down to uh, down 56 athlete spots. Obviously, the world team trials. Uh, just to give a, a quick plug, uh, Disney duels on track wrestling this week. Cadet duels on track wrestling this week. Um, we're also going to be joined later in the show. We're going to hear from David Taylor about that uh, 86 kilogram epic final series with Jaden Cox. David, where do you want to kick this thing off? I, I guess if you know, just let's dig into the trials and maybe just you know start at the beginning by weight classes and you know start with you want to start with the senior guys primarily. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I think it's probably a good starting point to be 57 kilograms. Now let's go right. lightest to heaviest or at least start off on that path. Uh, we talked last week that, uh, you know, we felt that if there was going to be a surprise champion, that, that 57 kilograms was certainly one where, where it was it could happen. There looked like a lot of parity on paper there and a lot of guys capable of winning that tournament. And Thomas Gilman, the guy – uh, who emerges there. Unbelievable run by Thomas Gilman. Knocks off four NCAA champions. Everybody he beat along the way was an NCAA finalist. Takes out Tony Ramos in two straights in the best of three. Uh, David, he he really had a role in it. I mean, you go go back to the beginning, we saw at the NCAA championships, he had a hard time getting to, to Darian Cruz's legs in that NCAA semifinal. And he was like a dog on a bone. Um, attached to, to Cruz's legs uh, throughout that opening round match, 9-0. Really controlled things from start to finish. Cruz uh, really didn't sniff points that I can recall. And, uh, you know, it seemed like that was a, a good launching point for Gilman for the rest of the day. Yeah, it was – and Gilman is the first guy ever to win the last chance tournament to get into the bracket and then make the world team. Like you said, every guy he beat was a national champion, and he wasn't an NCAA national champion. And this 
weight class was just really crazy. I mean, like, I mean, you talk about just quickly some of the specific matches. When he beat Graf 1-1, really didn't look like Graf really either wanted to attack that much or could attack that much. I think Gilman must be a much better hand fighter than, than maybe even than it appears. Or the way his stance is, I think it prevents guys from shooting a lot. You know, then in the bottom half of the bracket, Garrett four points down on Waters right off the jump, and then Waters comes back and beats him 18-6, to six, which was just insane to watch. Then Gilman in the semis beats Megalutis 11 nothing, and he's never beaten him. And then in the finals, Gilman beats Tomasello, and there's that whole scene where the two corners are throwing the brick back and forth and screaming at each other, you know, not even throwing <laughs> it at the referees. And, yeah, I mean... And, you know, I think I even mentioned to you last week that probably the best storyline would be if Gilman wrestled uh, Ramos, and that happened. And I think Ramos has really good defense in you not getting to his legs, but I think guys finished on – or not guys, but Gilman finished either with a push-out or a takedown every single time he got got two hands wrapped around Ramos' leg. So I think that's something he's going to have to work on you know, defend not just first line of defense, but second line of defense once guys get past the head and hands. So, yeah, it was super, super crazy, man. Just, I mean, and we talked about this. Gilman was losing to this Shazer six to nothing going in the second period of the last chance finals to get into this thing. I mean, just an unbelievable run from, you know, that last half of that match, running through the bracket and winning two straight against Ramos. Absolutely. And then the one thing that it was interesting to me, if you go back to the World Cup, um, Tony Ramos has had a lot of matches with Hassan Rahimi in the past from, from Iran, and, and matches have been close. The one in the World Cup was not as close, and, and you saw Rahimi have a lot of success um, with underhooks and pushing. And, and uh, you know, Ramos even alluded to this afterward in the interview with Shane Sparks that uh, is up on track wrestling. He talked about how the one thing that surprised him was was the game plan that, that the Iowa staff came up with, which was to dig a lot of underhooks. He said, you know, that's typically not something you see out of Gilman much, but uh, it was really effective in that match to, to keep um, keep the, the, the pace in Gilman's favor, keep the match in Gilman's favor. I thought he did a really good job. And, um, you know, sort of, you know, in a lot of ways, just, uh, you know, beat Ramos at, at his own game was just a little bit better at Ramos's game than Ramos. And, uh, uh, you know, if you would have told me last week that, uh, that, that Gilman, um, would beat any of those guys in his path. I mean, I, I figured he could beat, you know, everybody you put him up against, but, but to be able to do it in succession without a hiccup along the way, uh, That's a lot. Unbelie- yeah. un- unbelievable. Um, debut at the, at the world team trials for him. And, and, uh, uh, you know, now they've got a couple months to, to shore up some of, of maybe the, the, uh, holes in his game. You know, Ramos talked about, uh, you know, the ankle, uh, lace defense, you know, where, where he was able to lock some stuff up there and, and, and Ramos or Gilman, excuse me, is going to face some guys that are certainly a lot better, uh, at, at turning people on top than, than what Ramos is a lot more proficient in those positions, but, uh, they, you know, they got some time now and, and, uh, you know, we saw a guy that, uh, you know, for whatever reason was letting it fly a lot more. And, and I think, you know, part of that is due to just, just the freestyle 
uh, rule set and, and, and environment, you know, that we, we tend to see that a little bit more. But, uh, you know, man, Gilman was, Gilman was on point this weekend. Yeah, there's like three things that come to mind when you say that. Like, first of all, I really think Gilman losing it at NCA has helped him. I think he's probably trained a lot harder. He's probably a lot more ticked off. I mean, I don't know if he would, in hindsight, make that trade. You don't obviously do that. You try your best at both events. But I think it really, really motivated them. The second thing is that underhook strategy is something you saw a lot. I mean, we've seen Isaiah Martinez do it a lot but against Nolf, and we saw Dake do it effectively uh, against Burroughs in stretches. So, yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know about you. I mean, you were sitting – fairly close to the mat. I was sitting fairly close to the mat, but we were on opposite sides. Gilman looked bigger than every single guy he wrestled, and it didn't really look close, I mean, at least at least to me. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what he looked to me. So, and then just one thing quickly, you know, Gilman, you know, made some unfortunate comments in his interview, and I was glad to see that he apologized because as somebody who is Japanese-American, you know, we need to judge people on who they are and not what they are, not use those kind of terms. But I don't think he meant anything by it. I think it's just really a statement, really almost out of cultural ignorance, not out of malice. But I am glad he did say something about it because it's, it's, it's a very, in my culture, that's a very, very hurtful term. So I was, I was happy to see that that was corrected. Well, moving on to 61 kilos, David, I'm not sure that there's anybody that's more clutch than Logan Steber and, and uh, you know, wrestling five minutes and, and 55 seconds, not going to cut it against that guy. Just uh, We've seen time and again here in the last year, he he finds ways to come up with points in the closing seconds. And, and Kendrick Maple, I, I don't know about you, but Kendrick Maple sitting there up 6-0 in the first match, going to be feeling pretty good if you're in his corner. Uh, but yeah. that being said, you know, it was like the air came out of the balloon for Maple after after that lead got away. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you kind of work backwards, you know, once he lost the first match, I mean, not the guys I'm sitting with, I'm like, it's going to be done quick, and it was. Uh, I mean, when you're 6-0 up against the champ, like, you've got to close that match out, you know. I mean, and he was, even if he was up, I think it was 8-7 with, like, 20 seconds left. And just kind of gave up a goofy takedown at the end. It wasn't even like it was just kind of a. It looked like a soft scramble. So I don't know. I mean, Steber is super composed, but it feels like this weight that there's levels, right? Like Steber's at a level, and I think Maple's at a level above everybody else. And then like the Brandon Wrights and the Cody Brewers, the Cody Brewers and Kindigs and Colognes and those guys are all kind of on their own level and kind of who's hot that day. But, um, yeah, that was – you have to feel good about Steber as a representative at 61 for the United States for sure. So, um, and for those people that, you know, didn't watch it or whatever else, there was a – I don't know, it was almost comical. Brandon Wright got sick on the mat in the first round, and it took six guys with towels to clean up the mat for about 15 minutes. So, um, just, just, just more trauma at that weight class. But Steber looks – looks like not only the guy to beat in the United States, but looks like he's ready really to defend his title. And when, you know, you guys interviewed him, he said, he's like, you know, it took me a while to adjust and I made the adjustment and he didn't say these words, but you know, the second match was a lot easier. So he's an impressive, impressive kid. Any other takeaways from 61 kilos for you? 
Maples, Gophie Hines, in that first of the two out of three were absolutely clinical. They were unbelievable. I mean, if people want to teach go behind, you know, that that guy was unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, and I, and I think Steber's one of our better guys on top. Like, you can see that even though he didn't score, he almost scored on Maple a bunch, and that's really going to benefit him overseas as well. Moving ahead to 65 kilos, the Penn State versus Penn State showdown in the finals. Well, first of all, let's back it up. Jordan Oliver, uh, we find out last week it's announced that uh, he was tested positive uh, for a banned substance at the Open, and uh, a stimulant is what the USA Wrestling release said, and uh, forced to sit out. Um, He will, it sounds like, file an appeal here to to potentially uh, get back and get a special wrestle off. But uh, that changed the bracket around, obviously. You know, Frank Molinero gets elevated to the best of three championship series because Zane Rutherford, the number one seed in the challenge tournament, he comes through there. Uh, You know, we talked a little bit about this last week. Um, A year ago, this was the deepest weight that there was. I mean, you had Molinero coming out, I think, as a nine seed out of the trials and and winning the tournament. So many NCAA champions, plus Pico in that bracket. It feels like 65 has really thinned out here over the course of the last year. And it felt, I don't know about you, but it felt to me like we were going to see Zane versus Frank in the finals, which is what we got. Uh, Three-match battle. and and, you know, Rutherford wins the last two. David, thoughts on what you saw at 65 kilograms, particularly in that final series? Yeah, a couple things. Um, you know, with, I, I think he was facing with his back towards you, but at the end of the first match when Zane lost, he had this really interesting look on his face. He kind of stuck his bottom lip out a little bit and just kind of nodded his head and looked at the Sanderson brothers and, Almost like I was the guys I was sitting with. They both looked at me, and we all said, "You see that?" It, it looked like he's like, "All right, I lost, but I figured it out. I figured out what I got to do." And I mean, also just there were some super iconic photos of him. You know, after he won, he's bleeding and everything else. It, it feels like Molinaro's setups, especially to that left leg backside high crotch. Certainly, they didn't look as crisp. I mean, and maybe that's a combination of he didn't have a, a you know day full of matches. Maybe it's hey, I worked out with you every day for years. I know how you set that up, but it didn't look right. Like he was at the same level. And Zane and Gilman are part of you know four guys along with Cox and Snyder that wrestled in the collegiate season. So I think this argument that collegiate wrestling is screwing up folk style. It is probably kind of wrong. I mean, half the team is guys that just wrestled in March in the NCAs. So that, and then, you know, I talked to some people in the know about the Jordan Oliver situation and the, the levels he tested at were really low and, and they feel, they feel confident at least his appeal will be heard. And, uh, you know, but that it was, you know, probably in all likelihood, just a, a supplement that he took and it was unintentional, but Zane, I mean, you know Zane, I think, a little bit, you know, certainly better than I do from doing some interviews with him. He seems like really just kind of a happy-go-lucky kid who just is a hammer when it gets time to do stuff. And, I mean, I don't know if he can go place in the world at that age, but his learning curve, I mean, his 
his trajectory really feels like it's up and steeply up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the guy, you know, what he's done at the college level the last two years. I mean, with the, with the exception of that that brief hiccup in in January, where you know Sorensen took him to overtime and he had the close match with Kalika, um, he has just throttled everybody here for two seasons. And right. and uh, you talk you talk talk about levels, and he's he's in a different world right now than everybody else at 149 pounds in college wrestling and, and what we saw at the Olympic trials last year looked like a guy that was certainly ready uh, to be in contention to make this team this year. And, you know, if not for that correct throw, that goofy position out in Vegas, he's, he's sitting, you know, he, he's wrestling Molinero in the finals with a chance to sit out. Um, but uh, man, he just, he just rolled through, rolled through the challenge tournament this past weekend. Um you know, what was it, uh, 11, uh, 14-2 over Ironman? You know, 14-2 yeah. over Ironman. I think that, that Ironman might have scored the first two points. He and, did. And then, yeah, and then it was Zane, 14-2, Zane, 11-0 over Dardane, Zane, 10-0 over Futrell. So, um, yeah. 35, 35 consecutive points <laughs> uh, to finish the challenge tournament. And then, uh, as you mentioned, the the – performance to come back and win two straight in the final series there. So uh, moving ahead to 70 kilos and, and James Green, we saw him debut on the world scene here two years ago when he won the bronze medal out in Vegas. It might've been a little bit of a surprise then to, to see him step out of college after never winning an NCAA championship and uh, making that run to world bronze a few months later. Uh, it looks to me like he's he's even on a different level than he was a couple of years ago. I mean, he's agreed. Yeah, I, I don't know, but I don't know about you, but but um, man, there's uh, I I don't know that there's anybody in our country that's more fun to watch when when he just explodes through something and yeah and attacks the legs that he does the way he does because he, he he's lightning fast. Um, he's found a way to um, really. Uh, you know what we what we saw earlier in Burroughs' career from like you know 2011 when he wins the world world title he's out there basically you know just going takedowns with people and <laughs> and and then 2012 he's getting a better handle on on the out of bounds and a little bit more on the mat 2013 14 we're seeing him add different things to his game and I think we're seeing that with Green too you know that he's he's slowly evolving year after year adding a little bit more to his arsenal. I, I completely agree with that. I think that's exactly right. And it feels like you talked about levels. We feel like he's on, I feel like he's on a level, you know, Jimmy Kennedy moved up and was the one seed. I mean, Nolf gave him a good go, but it kind of feels like Nolf's on that, or, or excuse me, Kennedy's on that level too. And then Kolchitsky and Nolf and Pammy and those guys are kind of on a third level. And I think, again, if you're the United States, James Green's probably the guy you want going to the world championships. I mean, obviously wrestling is a cool sport because, you know, we, some panel or some committee doesn't pick guys, you know, you, you get it done on the mat, but, uh, I mean, green's super fun to watch, like you said. And I mean, he's probably, I mean, you know, we had Snyder on a couple months ago on Matt chat. And I mean, he said just how brutal it is wrestling with him and JB on a daily basis. And, I would imagine that there's probably some guys who are getting put on posters in practice on a weekly basis wrestling with those guys for sure. <laughs> Any other takes from 70 kilos? 
Not really. I just James Green really impressed me. He really wrestled. I felt like a veteran. You know, like just you know, you know, just real calm, executed his game plan. I saw Snyder afterwards. He's like, you know, Green didn't give us anything to worry about his preparation, his weight cut, everything. And he goes from the first time. He goes, you know, we told him to attack right away on the whistle on the second match, and he gets that quick takedown. He's like. I think he's. Re- this is him talking because I think he's really make ready to make a big impact, you know, at, at the world. So, well, let's skip over seventy four and eighty six. We'll we'll certainly come sure. back to them. We're yeah. not going to not going to ignore those weights. <laughs> yeah, they weren't important. Let's just skip them. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, going ahead to ninety seven kilos, and and we saw two years ago, um, Kyvan Gadsden obviously had a fall in the NCAA finals against Kyle Snyder. Also handed him a loss out in Vegas. Um, but then Kyle, I mean, obviously we've seen him jump levels, uh, multiple levels, uh, multiple stories. Um, yeah. the guy turns it around 23 to two in two matches. Um, you know, you talk about, about different levels and then there's, there's Kyle and everybody else or Kyle. And then there's Kyvan and then there's everybody else. And, um, just a tremendous statement by Kyle Snyder, and, and certainly feels like um, certainly feels like it's going to be a while before somebody at that weight class in the United States steps up and challenges him. Yeah, right. And I mean, and you said it exactly right. Like I'm looking at Gadsden's scores: twelve one four zero ten zero. So you know he's really the cream of the of the rest of the crop. I mean, Kilgore retired after this weekend. He's going to go coach at Ryder. So. It feels like this way we don't have as much depth. And, you know, if we get a chance to talk about these possible new weight classes that they might add to go to 10, you know, I think Gadsden's a guy that might might go down to that 90-kilo class. And I think he'd have to be, you know, on, on paper right now, the favorite to represent the America at that weight. So, you know, watching the duel or watching the tournament there and watching how Snyder wrestled and just talking about how, you know, he he's I saw a quote from him, he's not happy that he that he didn't win ten oh, ten oh, that he gave up two points and you know, that work ethic is is what a champion has to have. But I think that guy really lives his life that way. He was also just super accessible to fans. I mean, I saw multiple people walk up to him when he was sitting in the stands on Saturday just watching the, the mini tournament and you know, people walking right up, taking pictures with him. I just think the guy's an unbelievable ambassador for our our country and for our sport and an incredible amount of composure for a, a guy that's his age. Moving ahead to 125 kilos, David, Don Bradley comes through the challenge tournament, 5-1 over Bobby Telford, 8-1 over Tony Nelson. He gets Nick Gwizdowski in the finals, but Gwiz takes him out in two straight. David, what did you see at heavyweight? Well, I'm friends with Dom. You know, I've known him forever. He's a Missouri guy. You know, I thought he wrestled really well in the mini tournament. I actually thought he wrestled really well the second match with Gwiz, and he went in by one with 15 seconds left when they, you know, when they went out of bounds and just couldn't find a way to close that match out and, you know, create the third match and put some doubt in uh quiz is mine i mean to quiz to quiz his credit he wrestled really really well the first match and found a way to win the second match and he sure seems like he's got a lot of offense for that weight and you're a guy that stresses 
how much more athletic heavyweights got and are two you know two eighty five in college two seventy five in freestyle and how at the world championships how guys are getting the legs and it's not just fat guys weighing in on each other so you know I think you know Gwiz is pretty new at the senior level in terms of going to big tournaments but I think you know that the USA wrestling staff is excited to have him there and you know Dom and these other guys and all these weights the guys the second third you know guys they'll be training with these other guys and getting them ready. I think, you know, Gwiz and Pat Papalizio and that staff out there are excited to see him, how he's going to perform at that next level in a couple months. <clears throat> well, let's uh, shift gears, go backward. The 74 Burroughs in Dake and the bracket there, Kyle Dake obviously comes through the challenge tournament, um, takes out uh, Isaiah Martinez, in his first match of the day, 9-2, that toss where yeah. he took Imar down at the beginning, that was loud. It was thunderous. <laughs> it sent a message. Um, and then uh, the 2-1 over Alex Derringer. Um, you know, I, 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 I heard several people in between sessions think that, uh, well, Kyle Diggs not looking that good. Um, you know, Burroughs is a clear-cut favorite Saturday night. And, and uh felt to me like it was still going to be a knockdown drag out in the finals. I, I don't know about you, but uh, uh, that that was the feeling that I got that uh, I wasn't really reading too much into the challenge tournament. But, uh, man, everything that had been talked about for, for months, you know, ever since Kyle Dake made, made the determination that he was going to go back down to 74 kilos, you know, it, it lived up to all the hype. It was amazing, right? I mean, just, you know, when he chest lifted Burroughs in that first match and, you know, got the, you know, got the the win. And, I mean, I, it's it's kind of funny when you're, I don't know if funny is the right word, but when you're watching the match and you watch enough of these and you know the score, I still think 80% of the people in that crowd just think last point scored is the is the first criteria. And, I mean, because when Burroughs tied Dake with, like, five seconds left or three seconds left or whatever the exact number was, the crowd went crazy. And, you know, he Burroughs knew he was still losing. But th- those matches were crazy, and I don't know who's, you know, who's caught up on it. But the second match where, you know, Dake, they called a two for Dake, and then it changed it to a one. And then that put Dake behind Burroughs and where he would have been in the lead. And, I mean, just... I mean, and I, Rob Cole just literally went, almost thought he was going to literally go put hands on Rick Tucci. Um, you know, I mean, like he literally walked probably 20 feet from the, the corner over there. You know, I, didn't, I, you know, I wouldn't want to have to go through West Gutches. That dude put together. But, I mean, it, it the high, like you said, the, just the tension, you know, just the anxiety, the stress level, and – you know, those guys are so good. It'll be super interesting to see what Dake does if Burroughs medals. Does Dake move up to that 80-kilo weight class if, if that gets voted on, where I would have to think him and Deeringer would be the favorites there. Or if Burroughs, you know, were to not medal and, you know, they would come through the national, the U.S. Open together like they did last time, would Dake stay down? You know, that that's – but those guys are unbelievable. And I mean, whoever would have won, you feel like the U.S. has an unbelievably qualified guy to go do work at, at the world. I mean, 
you were on press row. What were, what were the impressions of guys like Mike Finn and those guys? What were you guys saying about the whole thing? Well, I, you know, going back to the, the Chester app, I mean, that, that was a position where, like, he just froze Jordan Burroughs in his tracks on that, you know, Burroughs shooting that double leg, and it was like he just got, like, ran into a brick wall and stopped him there, and then just a bomb of a throw. Um, you know, that was, that was to me, the defining moment of, of the first match. Um, but also, you know, Kyle Dake talked in Vegas, and he talked uh, after the challenge tournament about needing to make more happen. And what does he do in that first match? He comes out, fires off a shot in the opening seconds, uh, finishes it about 30 seconds in, and, and kind of uh, sends a message that, look, I'm, I'm here, and I'm not going to stand around and, and wait for – you know, push outs and clock cautions, yeah, uh, clock points and and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. I thought the second match in the sequence that you described, you know, and I would even say this, you know, I I'm not one that gets into hyperbole a whole lot and says it's the best I've seen since. But but that last minute of the first match, I'm not sure that that I've ever seen a more captivating minute of wrestling than that yeah. last minute of match two. When you think of everything that's in play, Burroughs having to come back from uh, down 3-1. He was, he was down 3-0, gets the, the point when the clock runs out on Dake with about a minute 10 to go. 45 to go, and Burroughs gets in, um, scores 2-2 two and two on the edge to go up 5-3. Dake fires back, gets in on a leg, drives him out, momentarily called two. Uh, reviewed a, a no-brainer challenge uh, for Burroughs at that point because you're either uh, you're either down five-five on criteria or or you lose the challenge. You're down six-five. Either way, you still have to score a point. You win the challenge, and as he did, he's up five-four. But uh, the last ten seconds, um, man, the last ten <laughs> seconds were incredible. You know, Burrow or Dake. Somehow gets to a leg. Burroughs, or, uh, uh, Burroughs gets you know into a scramble position, grabs onto a leg, and uh, you know Dake's so good in that crotch lift position, and, and Burroughs did such a heck of a job to keep from getting tipped there because I, I thought for certain he was getting tipped there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah you whenever know, your rear ends above your head, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And. Uh, <laughs> You know, Kyle Dake being so good in that position and, and having already won won the first match, and you sit there and you wonder, like, you know, if Dake wins this thing, what happens to Jordan Burroughs at this point? You know, losing two straight on his home mat. You know, he yeah. hadn't lost on American soil in nine years. you got to go back to Steve Brown from Central Michigan back in 2010 in a match that uh, Jordan Burroughs got injured. Uh, injury default blew out his knee. Yeah, uh, that's right, yeah. That's the last time he'd lost on American soil uh, prior to that first bout. But uh, Burroughs finds a way to get it done. In bout two, the place went absolutely bananas. And, uh, you know, then Burroughs comes out, takes control of the third bout with the takedown and turn early on. And it just seemed to me like, uh, you know, Dake kind of hit a wall in that third match. You know, I don't know if it was, uh, uh, you know, if, having to wrestle those two hard matches earlier in the day with Imar and Daringer, if that took something out of him um, or what the deal was, but he just didn't seem to have, have the same kind of pop that he had earlier in the day. I, I don't, yeah. I mean, 
you're in a weird position as a coach, right? Like when you're in, in Damian Hahn and Rob Cole's position, like when you fight that hard for that, you have to fight for your guy. But yeah, like, you know, then like you, your kid looks over and is like, man, you know, that maybe they don't believe in me. Like I got to fight in this. It's like, it's so crazy. And like you said, I mean, Jake wins the first match and has him on the ropes in the second. And, you know, Burroughs just keeps chipping away. And what's interesting is Burroughs doesn't score on his double leg very much anymore at all. I mean, I think on no. his double leg shots, he lost points this weekend, you know? He, he lost four on that chest wrap. So, I mean, he's had to diversify his offense. I mean, he's commented he's the most scouted guy in the world, and it's probably true in terms of opponents and in terms of if you want to teach how to, you know, score from open, he's as good in the world as there is. They're so, those guys are such unbelievable athletes and competitors and champions. It's, it's crazy. Did you feel like the call, the change from two to one, did you feel like it was the right call? Yeah. From where I sat, I, 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 I thought it should have been one personally. That was my opinion. Um, you know, I would like to hear the opinion of others, but I, you know, most of the people I talked to felt like it should have been one. How about yourself? I really wasn't sure in the beginning, and then I watched, you know, all the replays, and I think it was the right call. I mean, you know, even Burroughs, you know, said in an interview that you know he knew some of the calls went its way. You know, I don't think it was home cooking. I think it was just a really close call that didn't. Uh, you know, that didn't go his way. But, you know, if you look at this way, it feels like the gap between Deeringer and Dake is closing, and it certainly feels like the gap between Dake and Burroughs is closing. And, I mean, Dake is, or Burroughs, excuse me, is still the man, and he might very well win the world title. You know, but you have to feel like these guys, are, like by 2020, these guys might just be neck and neck and neck with each other. It'll be interesting to see. So, the, I just can't tell people just those three matches alone. If you bought a ticket, were the price were worth the price of admission on Saturday night, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I tweeted after the first match, let's go best of five. You know, that first match was so entertaining. <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah. sure either guy had it in, had it left in the tank to go two more. But uh, boy, that was a lot of fun. I would like to see more of that in the future. And you know, I'm not sure we will. You know, because of the points that you made about the weight classes changing, but. Uh, We'll see. We'll see what those look like. But the other point that you made about about Burroughs and the double leg was was is, is interesting and very valid. Uh, uh, you know, it's um, you know, and Jordan even admitted this. He's, he's um, maybe not quite as fast as he used to be, and he kind of reminds me of uh, you know, some of these pitchers that we've seen that have lost a little bit off their fastball. You know, I'm a, I'm a Yankee fan, and and I remember back to. Um, you know, Andy Pettit and Mike Messina at the yeah. tail end of their career, they they experienced some bumps in the road there with, um, you know, towards the tail end of their career where they, you know, they just lost a little bit off their fastball and, and it took them a little while to adjust. And, and then they started realizing, um, you know, there are other ways to get, uh, get hitters out. And, uh, but I know they, no, they your were point exceptional. is well taken for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I know they I mean, were exceptional in that after they had evolved a little bit and gotten accustomed to uh, um, pitching a little bit different way. Yeah, and like, I mean, not to talk about baseball for half an hour, but a guy like Greg Maddox, who at one point probably hit 90 and then never did, I mean, but, you know, he could hit the rear end of a gnat when he wanted to. So, you know, I mean, 
they figure out the ways out, and, and that's what Burroughs is doing. I still think he's got that double in him, but like you said, it might be a quarter of a second slower. And I think, you know, if you're most coaches, if you're most athletes, you go, okay, I'm not going to let you beat me with your best move. You know, if you beat me with your third best move, hats off to you. Otherwise, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not going to let you just kill me with what, with, you know, with your best move and, you know, what, what you do without even thinking. So I think that's what's happening. I'll tell you this, when Kyle Dake wants to go, when he wants to attack, he is awfully freaking dangerous, man. I mean, that guy can get the legs like nobody's business when he wants to. So, you know, it's, it's not a big, you know, limb to climb out on, but I think, I think eventually that guy's going to be a world medalist for sure. Well, and the other thing, half off the Burroughs, too, for coming from behind on that guy. Yes. And, 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 you know, especially, you know, a three, a three point lead against Kyle Dake with, with 70 seconds to go. That's a, you know, a three point deficit against Dake with 70 seconds to go is a death sentence for most people. And, and yeah. the Burroughs yeah. overcome that. That was, that was incredible. Yeah, for sure. It, I can't stress enough, and I mean, I, hopefully at the end we can talk a little bit about the job Lincoln did and about the world team trials in general, but so I'll save my, my soliloquy for that. But, yeah, it, it, it was impressive. He came back and, you know, came from behind in all three matches. One of them, he, you know, tied and lost some criteria in the other ones. Well, actually, the second match, third match, he jumped out to that lead. But, yeah, yeah, he was unbelievable for sure. Well, let's move on to 86 kilos. You know, we've been talking for weeks about Jaden Cox, David Taylor. And certainly David Taylor had to do some work to get there, but, um, man, and, and he actually, you know, that, that match in the, uh, challenge tournament against Nick Heflin, that thing got a little crazy there for a while. Yeah. Let's uh, not was, brush over David that. Taylor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what did David Taylor have to come back from like nine, three down, I think after he lost a challenge. If I'm not mistaken. I thought it was six Oh at one point too. Yeah. Like six Oh and nine, three. He got just what he got. Just wrapped, just like Burroughs did. Heflin just deadlifted him over his head. I think one of the referees actually gave five on that. That's how high he threw him. So Heflin is a gigantic guy. He'd be another guy that would move up to that probably next weight class if they have it. But, yeah, I mean, you start with, you know, Downey not getting scored on until Taylor scored 10 on him. And then... That Downey Taylor actually gave up a uh, push out right away against Crutchmer. To Crutchmer, yeah, yeah, right. And then he reeled off yeah. 14 straight, yep. <laughs> That's right. And then, yeah, then he got 10-0'd by Taylor. And the Taylor-Heflin match was super entertaining. I mean, Heflin went to that chest wrap one too many times and gave up four the other way, and that really changed the whole match. I mean, otherwise, like I was telling some guys, I'm like, oh, my God. The guy's like, I think we're going to see Heflin against Cox which actually would be interesting in a weird way because it's the NCAA Finals rematch when Jaden was a freshman. So, yeah, it was, that was a great match. And then the the mini or the two out of three of the final series was just absolutely epic from, from your point of view. What did, what did you see about all that? Well, I thought one of the most interesting things of, of the entire tournament, or one of the funniest things of the entire tournament, strangest, whatever you want to call it, um, Martinez and Dake were wrestling in the middle, the middle mat there. And, and I look up in the crowd to see where Mark Perry is, see if he's watching it. And he's like in row two and right next to him is Pat Downey. And, and then I'm like, 
God, he's got a match coming up here pretty soon. And I look up at the board, and Pat Downey's on deck on that match. <laughs> there's, there's like a minute and 10 seconds to go in that match and, and Downey finally gets up to go to the back and I don't know if he's got the Ray Brinzer uh, mentality <laughs> that uh, you know if you get into a street fight you don't have time to warm up so that's why he, he wasn't big on warm ups but uh, I thought that was pretty interesting that, that you know Downey's in the crowd watching and he's got to wrestle David Taylor in like a minute and a half so but anyway, yeah, yeah, you summed it up right. I mean, the the final series at, at 86 kilos was epic. And, you know, I think a lot of people figured it would be. Just, uh, you know, what Jaden did in his first time out last year and just the progression that we saw him make from outing to outing, um, you know, going through the Olympics without getting scored on, and then David uh, running through the World Cup the way he did, arguably the best World Cup performance in World Cup history taking out two Olympic champions in one day, um, firing off shot after shot after shot. Uh, so it set the stage for one of the most anticipated freestyle matches that I can remember in recent years, you know, on top of the date Burroughs series. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then for Taylor to come out and get match one, nine, three, um, you know, for for Jaden to come back from that, make adjustments that that he made, it was pretty impressive. Um, you know, the the adjustments that he made from one match to the next uh, to slow David down a little bit. But um, you know, just just your perspective, David. What did you, what did you see that transpired from mat, match one to two that put Cox back in it to get a third match? I got to be honest with you. I thought David Taylor would have a really hard time just finishing on Cox, just plain finishing on him. And Cox did get out of several attacks, but Taylor finished really efficiently in the first match. And that one, he like flared, doubled him out of bounds and put him down hard. I think the adjustments that Cox made, you know, I mean, I have to talk to Ironman specifically to ask him, but it really looked like in the second match, and completely so, and, and we'll touch base on the third match, so I won't steal the ending, but they, they did a much better job of controlling Taylor's lead hand. And if you've ever coached at any sort of high level, if you coach a guy, control a guy's lead hand effectively, it really screws a guy up. Um, and they did that. And then I think Jaden added a lot more misdirection in his second match you know, where he was primarily just circling one direction in space and in the first match. And in the second match, he did a lot more redirects and where he was close enough that if Taylor misstepped, that he could get to a leg. But, I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, certain guys having the clutch gene. I mean, certainly Jordan, Jordan Burroughs had the clutch gene. Jaden Cox, I mean, he actually overall got outscored I mean, it's like these three matches, like sets in tennis. You know, you can win 7-6, you know, 6-0 or 0-6 and then 7-6 and actually lose more games and win the match. I mean, that, you know, he lost on points, but the second match was really a tactical match. And so then the, the third match is just sort of a – I mean, that match is legendary, right? I mean, like all the stuff that happened, there's just – people are not going to forget that match for a long time. So – I mean, you're probably better at remembering the actual sequence of events. So for people that haven't seen it, maybe kind of walk them through it so, you know, we can kind of put a bow on it. 
Yeah, so so Jaden was up 1-0, and then he, uh, he finished um, right before the end of the period, right before the break. He he got into a get, got in on a single, and he, he had a really unique like Russian type finish uh, where yeah. he kind of dove under the leg, and right. and didn't get the didn't get the takedown, but he got exposure points there. So he takes a 3-0 lead going into the break. Taylor shoots right off the whistle. Uh, after the break, right after the start, gets to Cox's right leg, and he's walking him out of bounds. And David went to finish right as Jaden went into the splits, and uh, Jaden's right knee buckled. And at that point, I mean, the, the arena went completely silent, and, and all you can hear is, is uh, Jaden um, basically, you know, crying in pain at that point. And and I don't know where you you know what you were thinking from where you were sitting, David. But but I wondered if it was done at that point. I, I you know I uh, yeah it, the kind of pain that the guy looked like he was in for sure. Yeah, you know he's a tough kid. I mean, th- there's three things that went through my head. Number one, maybe he's done. Number two is guys that good generally don't get hurt. So when they do get hurt at all, it really freaks them out. And three. I had literally just seen something that looked very similar the day before when we were coaching Severado and he hurt his knee against Heinzelman. And, you know, the difference there was I was on the mat and the trainer came out and did some stability testing and said, he's got a sprained MCL, but he can wrestle if he needs to or if he wants to. So, yeah, I mean, but your, your point about that, you could drop a pin in that place. That's absolutely what happened. I mean, and that was the very last match of the night, correct? No, no, no. They still had the second the last match. Take. Yep, yeah, yep. but I mean, it was the, it was the penultimate match. I mean, like you know, and the cool thing about the finals for people who don't know is they only ran one match at a time, so you could really just you know you're not you know watching multiple matches. But yeah, I, I, I think a big you know I think everybody's initial reaction was it, it's done, and what a what a horrible way to lose, and what you know what a bad way to win, right? Like. So Taylor wants yeah. to make his world team. I mean, you know, you did a great job getting this interview with him. He wants to win the right way. The guy's never backed down from competition against anybody. You know, he's built himself up into a beast. I mean, I was, I got to watch him and uh, Kyle Snyder spar play role. He's, he's gotten himself. I mean, he's so much bigger than like when he was a 103 pound as a freshman. It's like, you don't even think it's the same guy. I mean, the facial hair, the body, the whole thing. But yeah. And then, I mean, I guess sort of the controversy after this is Cox keeps wrestling or continues wrestling, but he doesn't really fire off a lot of attacks. And I think the big controversy was they were so, so sweaty, and the mat was like part lake, part skating rink, right? I mean, they were just sliding all over the place. Yeah, I mean, at that one point, um, Jaden is literally hydroplaning backwards on his knees. (laughs) Yeah, and, and not on purpose. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, just and, and why why the match was not stopped to to clean up the sweat is is beyond me. I I, I don't understand that. I mean, you got a world team spot on the line. You got two guys ranked in the top six in the world, and they're out there trying to compete on a hockey rink, basically. And and uh, you know nobody's got any footing. Can't get a grip on on either. Either guy, I, I don't understand it. I mean, it, it, it 
you know, certainly was not the kind of conditions that you'd like to see a world team spot determined on. Is there any rule that says they can't stop the match in that scenario? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I read through the entire rule book getting ready to coach this weekend. I don't remember reading anything like that that would prevent them from making that decision. But they had a super high-level ref doing that match. I mean, if you're a a Jaden Cox fan, you're like, the guy wrestled on one leg, gutted it out, made the world team. If you're a Taylor fan, it's like, look, you got to dry both of them off. You got to let them, you got to dry the mat off. Taylor attacked you know, like crazy in the last two minutes of that. And Cox scored, but he scored just off Taylor overextending himself on offense. And if you put one caution and two on Cox, then Taylor wins the match. And and Cox, there was no way he could mount an offense. I guess I shouldn't say that. The guy was unbelievable. It just say it wouldn't have been very likely that he would have been able to mount offense. You know, but... I'm telling you, that place was pins and needles and electric. And then, you know, I think kind of the, the the actions at the end of the match really just kind of took away from it, you know, from what was an unbelievable win by Jaden. And you never see Kale Sanderson get that frustrated. And he was, and, and Taylor was super frustrated too. So, you know, just, you know, kind of unfortunate how it ended. But um, that match was just epic, man. I mean, I think because I, I came down to talk to you right afterwards, and we are just both kind of shaking our heads going, did we really just see that? I mean, it was crazy. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I had a chance to catch up with David Taylor on Tuesday, and uh, let's give that a lesson to hear what he had to say about that match. Mm. Well, I think, you know, as a series, as a whole, Jaden's an ex- an extremely gifted wrestler, great competitor. Uh, and I knew going into those matches, that they're going to, they're going to be absolute battles. Um, and they were, I mean, every, every one of those matches are razor, really razor thin. So, uh, I, I believe in my, in my heart that competing for the United States spot are the number one and number two guys in the entire world right now. After wrestling the guys I've wrestled this year, I believe that, uh, uh, you know, I believe that Jaden is is absolutely uh, you know one of the best guys. So it's points are definitely hard to come by. You know, so when when you get the opportunity to score, uh, you know, yes, I gotta try and capitalize on takedowns and and not push outs. And ultimately, I think that comes down to both of us. Both of our, you know, when we both get into those flurries, it was important that we each try to, uh, you know finish with takedowns and not push outs and ultimately uh the takedowns are what made the difference in the overall uh and the bouts overall you know after kind of looking back on it it looked like a hockey rink out there by the end of the third period what what was it like trying to get your footing on on that mat i've never i mean i in training with Jaden last summer i mean we definitely we, we were in some situations like that, like where it was hot and humid down in Rio and the match was slippery, but it was nothing. That, I mean, that, it was nothing like that match. Um, I mean, that last two minutes and 40 seconds of the third match was just, I mean, there was no traction really out there, you know, and Jaden and I both at one point had asked, I think in, in every match to get the, the to get the uh, 
mat cleaned up and the refs would just bring us back to the center and start wrestling. So, um, you know, I think that the conditions were not ideal for either one of us. Um, but that's just, that is what it is. No, the toughest thing, you know, in looking back and reflecting is I can control the things that I control are how hard I wrestle my effort, you know, giving everything I can. And that looking back gives me some peace because I wrestled as hard as I possibly could every single match that I wrestled in. Um, you know, and, and I think some of those outside factors are things I can't control. I can't control the mat conditions. Uh, I can't control uh, some of those other things. But you know, looking back, what I can control, I gave as much effort as I possibly can and, and try and give myself a chance to, to, to represent the team. Um, if you could have a do-over on anything, what if what if anything would you change? Is there anything? When uh, in the, in the, when I, I, I got a push-out to take the lead on criteria with – minute and 30 seconds or something like that. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a, a blur looking back, but, you know, but my, I didn't take a second to think that maybe it was wise to take my foot off the gas pedal at that point and make him have to come score on me. But ideally, I mean, but that's just not me. Yeah. I, I'm not a defensive wrestler. I'm going to give a full throttle effort. I'm going to keep shooting, keep scoring. Cause I wanted another point on the board. I did. I wanted badly. I wanted to take down, on the board, um, I wanted to earn that passivity call, and that was we're taught to control the center of the mat, press our opponent to the edge, shoot them off the shoot them off the mat, try and snap them back in, and and that's what I continue to do repetitively, trying to uh, and trying to earn that passivity call, and um, I feel like I was deserving of it, but I didn't get it. So you know, maybe looking back, maybe I would have been wise to change my focus, but then then the match is completely different. It's a three-three match, and then maybe I'm at risk to be off for passivity or something crazy. So, you know, it was, it was absolutely, I mean, the, the, it was the craziest match of 40 seconds of a match I've ever been a part of for sure. I can tell you that just from every, every angle and perspective. I mean, just the intensity, the, I mean, obviously what, what we were fighting for to represent, um, and, and old, it, it I think the thing that's hard, um, you know, is it's not just, it's not just a wrestling match. You know, winning or losing that match is not just a wrestling match. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's like, okay, maybe it goes on and there's a next thing tomorrow, but that match is a big, it's a life-changing event for both of us. I mean, the winner, you know, it, it, you, know you, you were professional. So you win that tournament, you get paid. You go to world championships, you win the medal, you get paid. You don't go, you don't. You know, and that's what hurts. I'm representing my not only myself, my coaches, my family, and it hurts really bad to – uh, to not have won that match, so it it's really painful. And um, but there's not much looking back that is going to change about it. So I've I've had a great season. I've had a lot of progress with this new weight class, and uh, I'm definitely putting myself in position to fulfill my goals. So it's just a matter of uh, continuing through this quad with the right mindset and continue to make progress towards towards what I want. That tells me that's to be world Olympic champion. I think a lot of people were wondering whether he was even going to continue. Did that change well, anything for you? Well, I think yeah. I think when, when after you know when I went over the coach's corner, I think my first instinct to that the match is going to be over. Um, but then I, I you know it's like well I, I knew that he was going to continue wrestling because there's there's no reason for him not to continue wrestling. Now what you know it's 
there's no reason for him to not continue wrestling with with that short period of time left. And and really, I, I don't. I, Jaden is uh, again like I have I have nothing but respect for Jaden, and we're both great competitors. Um, and like I said earlier, I mean those points are hard to come by for either one of us. You know they didn't they weren't scored a bunches. You know there it's hard. You know it's just very tactical um, and and difficult to score on. So. And coming back in, you know, I I came out, I fired a, a shot right off the whistle, and at that point, I mean, I spent a lot of time trying to grab them and uh, pull, you know, trying to you know work again, earn that passivity call, maybe harder, working harder to probably earn the passivity call than maybe uh, score a takedown. But again, just pressure under the edge and, and think, you know, he just I kept trying to shoot him off, and he kept you know being able to get back in bounds, and then I get him back to the other edge, um, and it just was, uh, you know, kind of just that time just continued going, and then he was able to create some scrambles on the edges where he actually got in a reshot on me and ended up getting a push out, and then the, the second one when, you know, he, he cut back in, I, like, baseball slid out of bounds, you know, and that's just, you know, I, I don't know what the, I don't know, you know, I can't really explain those those circumstances, you know, beyond just, you know, I was just trying to get after it, I was trying to get that a point on the board. But I don't think that his injury affected, you know, my perspective. You know, I'm, I'm still going out there and trying to create action, and that's something I'll, I'll never change. That you know, I'm always going to try and go out and score, create action, and try and score points. And um, he, he was just, he was doing what he thought he needed to do to win the match, and um, and I was doing what I, what I believed I needed to do to win the match, and uh, you know, and, and I, I didn't win. What's, uh, what's running through your head when the match is over? I mean, we've you know, obviously things are pretty hot at that point. Well, I think that's a, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, it, it, I think, you know, if you think about college match, win or lose, right? Well, it's just, you're in college, you're a kid, it's not a big deal. I mean, at this point in level, like, I've been, all year I've been traveling around the world, sacrificing, being away from my, my family, being away from my wife, to try and put myself in the best shape, to probably put myself in the best, be prepared as possible to, to advance and, and try and win a win a world championship, so to be, to not, to the way the match ended and the way that period was in my perspective is just really painful and hurtful uh, to me, and that that's just honest. I mean, that's transparency. That's just how I feel. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I wrestled a lot of emotion. I mean, I wrestled emotion when I win, and, I mean, I've, I've lost a lot in my life, and, you know, it's not like, uh, it's not the loss that, it, you know, that you know, made me upset. It was just uh, the way and my how I felt that last two minutes and forty seconds went, and that just was. It's hard for it, it makes my head hurt when I think about it. So you know, that's just. But you know, I can learn from it moving forward. I can make adjustments. You know, obviously that's something I have to figure out. You know, how to score when when mats are super slippery and uh, I'm constantly pressuring my opponent to the edge, and and I got to figure out how to score there. Um, and I will, I will, I believe that. So I have great coaches and they'll help me, uh, overcome, you know, whatever I need to overcome to score in those situations. Well, David Mirkatani, the, the weekend in Lincoln as a whole, I thought was tremendous. I mean, we had 4,600 people in the stands for the Saturday night's finals, which, you know, we've talked about this in the past on this show. You know, the higher you go on the ladder, the the smaller the following gets, and that's weird and and strange. And you know, you know, we we could talk 
for hours about that and why it is the way it is. But from a world team trial standpoint, 4,600 is a pretty good crowd. I mean, we've gone to Council Bluffs in past years, and there's been a couple thousand. Um, the past two up in Madison, I think, have been right around 2,500 would be my guess. And, uh, you know, I thought the, the, the following in Lincoln, they showed up. Uh, the Nebraska fans were there. Thomas Gilman um, growing up just across the r river in Council Bluffs, Iowa. He had a huge following there. Uh, the, the crowd was tremendous. The arena was great. The setup was great. I, I, I thought uh, just the environment as, as a whole, I thought it was one of the more memorable world team trials that, that we've been to just in terms of environment. And then you throw in the incredible wrestling action, the drama and all that stuff. Uh, one of the pro probably the best world team trials that I've ever been to. What made it such a great weekend from your standpoint? I think Lincoln had a lot to do with it. I think they, you know, when we had Mark Manning on a couple of weeks ago, he talked about the Haymarket area and how, you know, convenient everything was. Just the people that were friendly. You know, if you put, if you would go to the wrong parking lot, they tell you where to go. You know, the people working inside, the volunteers were amazing. I mean, um, just so many of the people running the tournament, the, the arena, there wasn't a bad seat in the place. Uh, they had a huge social on Saturday night, and half the guys that wrestled were there. I mean, if you're a fan, this is you, you got to try to put this on your calendar. I know we've talked about how traveling and all these things are expensive and certainly not trying to spend anybody's money, but, you know, it wasn't super expensive to stay there, and the tickets were not super expensive. I mean, I'm, I was so impressed with the world trials. I'm, I'm actually talking to the St. Louis Sports Commission and trying to get them to bid on it. And one of my friends from Kansas City is trying to get them to do the same. Uh, I mean, and they have not decided where they're going to be next year. I mean, I actually talked to Steve Frazier about that Saturday night. They're still taking bids. I don't think he, I think he told me this didn't get decided till like November, December of last year for, for June. So, I mean, it's an unbelievable event, man. I mean, it was so cool. Well, David Mercatani, uh, we're running out of time for this week, but we will get to UWW Juniors next week. We'll talk about Disney, Disney duels a little bit, cadet duels, those two tournaments going on on track wrestling this week. You will be down in Tulsa next week for junior duels. I will be here in Waterloo for the Gable Hall of Fame weekend. Lots of college coaches coming in for that. Stephen Neal, one of the headline guests, going to be in town. Uh, for that as well. Uh, David, uh, you said you got um, Kevin Crutchmer coming on this week for Matt Chat. Kevin Crutchmer's coming on, and uh, he does, he, you know, he runs senior duels, which are coming up, and you guys are trusting me to go down there and do that, do some solo work for track down there. And uh, he was a great interview and got a chance to shake his hand when, you know, he's up there watching his son wrestle. Um, he does a great job talking about the bidding process, how they're growing Oklahoma, how many more high school All-Americans they've had and how that's helping the collegiate programs there. And then we're working on some big, big names coming up in uh, the last half of June and July and August before we get you know, back to you know, the bread and butter match at, which is those college assistant coaches during the season. Well, good deal, David. Thank you, as always. Thanks for having me. Quick shout-out to Sevian Severado. He took second this weekend for allowing me and my dad to be in his corner. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Matt Chat with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. For David Mercatani, I'm Andy Hamilton. Check back to Track Wrestling for all the coverage of the Disney duels and cadet duels this week, junior duels next week. And David and I will be back 
at you a week from now. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.